0: Thank you, Zach. All right, if you have a copy of, uh, of God's Word, please turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 22 today. Initially, I thought about going all the way to verse 31, uh, but that uh, was a little bit more than the, than we should handle. So, and we'll look at that part next week, the latter part of the, the chapter. But this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. And just to kind of catch you up, if uh, you haven't been with us, the, the Christian movement, uh, what will come to be known as the church, at least the New Testament church, has begun. Um, Jesus has poured out His promised Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is enabling and empowering the followers of Jesus to be witnesses to Jesus, to be witnesses for Jesus in the world. And so far, everything is going great. Right? The people are, are coming, are, are being converted. They're believing in Jesus. They're, they're listening to Jesus' teaching through the apostles. They're worshiping and praying together. They're sharing their, their money and goods with each other. And even last week we see Peter and John uh, do a very Jesus-like miracle and heal a man who had been paralyzed from birth. And so everything is going wonderfully, right? If this were a fairy tale, uh, you would expect to read in the next verse, right, that they all lived happily ever after. But that is not... This story, uh, and what we're going to see today is that this uh, this young uh, movement, this early church, meets its first opposition, and we're going to see how they respond to it. So let's give our attention to God's Word, Acts chapter four, verse one. And as they were speaking to the people. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this?' When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is God's Word. Let's pray and ask for His help in understanding and applying it to our lives. Father in Heaven, would you take this Word and would you do exactly as you often do? Would we... Admit that simply reading from the Bible and hearing it read and the cleverness of words, God, those things do not change us. Holy Spirit, would you change us through this means? Would you change us through this word? Would the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, uh, years and years ago, when uh, the cultural revolution had taken place in China, uh, when the communists took over uh, China, uh, something, uh, something puzzling happened one of the one of the moves they made to secure their hold on the people of China was to expel all foreign missionaries uh, and so the work that had been going on for decades upon decades in China uh, by foreign missionaries was brought to a halt as all of the foreign missionaries were expelled from the country uh, and what you would expect to happen is that Christianity would then die. In China. Since there was no longer a foreign influence, then surely Christianity would go away uh, and the communist government could cement its control upon the people. Uh, But what actually happened was the exact opposite Christianity exploded in China. That upon the removal of foreign missionaries, uh, what happened was basically the only way the church could meet was in government-sanctioned churches. And so the the church had to teach only what uh, the People's Republic of China approved. And so, uh, But what happened instead was that the underground Christianity exploded in China. In fact, Christianity grew in a way that it had never grown before as long as the foreign missionaries were there. And so what we see is that opposition increased against Christianity. Christianity did not diminish, but actually flourished. Uh, and this has actually been the story of Christianity from its very beginning. In fact, uh, in the, 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 when the, the moment when everything seemed to shift for Christianity in the Western world uh, was when Constantine, uh, in the 4th century, uh, made Christianity a legal religion. In fact, it made it the de facto religion of the Roman Empire, and so everybody who was a Roman citizen thus became a Christian. And what, that, and what that caused to happen is not the flourishing of Christianity, but actually it's deadening. That, that the church actually lost its strength and vitality as it became approved and accepted. So the story, the history of Christianity has actually been one of opposition and increase. That wherever she is opposed, that is where she grows. Uh, and typically, wherever things go the easiest for the church, that is where she tends to languish and grow lazy and fat. Um, and so, what I want us to see from this passage is not that we should be afraid of opposition, not that we should be afraid of hostility. Right? Typically, when we, when we get pushback, when we get hostility for something, what does that typically cause us to do? We typically think, "Oh no, this is not the way I'm supposed to go because this way is hard, right?" We our, our nature tends to go the easy way. The easy way. We're, we're kind of like water, right? We will we will take the path of least resistance. In fact, it's even common in our thinking uh, when when we when we meet resistance in something. Or actually, let's let's put it this way: when things are going well, what do we often think? Right? We're blessed and highly favored. When things are going well, we tend to think, ah, God is with me. I'm being blessed. And when things are not going well, we tend to think, "Oh, oh, God doesn't want me to go down this road. I'm being opposed, so this must not be the right path. But what we see in Acts chapter 4 is that's actually faulty thinking and feeling. That's not the way that God has designed His church to grow. That's not the way that God has designed the gospel to work. And so what what we actually are going to see in Acts, that as the gospel goes forward out into the world, opposition and hostility actually increase. Uh, that That those things are actually part of the deal. And that's exactly what Jesus said would happen in places like John 15, where he said that those who follow him would face the same kind of treatment that he faced. And that's not meant to discourage us, but rather to encourage us. It's meant to remind us that when we face opposition, we're actually in good company. We're in company with Jesus. So how do you respond when people oppose you? That's what we're going to see today. How do, you, how do these early believers, these first apostles, uh, respond to hostility and opposition? We're going to look at it in two ways. First, we're going to we're going to look at the exclusive claim of the gospel. Right. This is really where the this is where hostil, hostility comes in. Right, because the gospel makes an exclusive claim, uh, and then we're going to see how Peter and John show us what bold resistance in the gospel looks like. So first, let's talk about the exclusive claim of the gospel, right uh, The good news. Now you would think you would think that something called the good news would actually elicit a pretty positive response. I mean it's called good news, right? Uh, you would think that that would like make people feel good. Um, you would think that the news that you know that hey God has done something for me that I could not do myself, All my religious searching and striving is over. That's great. Sign me up. But actually, inherent in that message is a claim that grates against our natures. And it's this claim that Peter makes in verse 12. He says, there is salvation in no one else. It's interesting, the gospel is both inclusive... In that it calls all people to it, all kinds of people from all kinds of places, from all walks of life. It offers forgiveness to all people. So it is radically inclusive, but here we also see that it is radically exclusive. That what it demands of you is that you actually lay aside yourself and trust in Jesus and that is a challenging that is a that is a challenge to our human natures right the reason that's a challenge is because it's a it's a claim to authority and we inherently don't like authority right when the when the religious leaders ask peter what by what name did you do this? That's an authority question. They're asking, by what right? Who gives you the right to heal this man? Who's, whose authority has given you this power? Where is this coming from? It's an authority question. And so what Peter does is he points them to Jesus. Right? He says, the same man that you crucified over a month ago... Jesus, He's the one who has healed this man. And then it's interesting, uh, this uneducated fisherman from Galilee becomes the Bible teacher. Right? Initially, he's on the defense, uh, and he moves to offense. And he takes, he takes Psalm 118 from the Old Testament and shows them how they actually fulfilled Scripture without even realizing it that the stone that they cast aside, that they threw out as unworthy, as not good enough, that stone has become the foundation stone, the cornerstone upon which the whole house is built. And he is the only one who can save. Now, what's Peter doing? He's challenging their authority. He's challenging their claim to authority with a rival claim. Uh, and our world is full of these claims, right? Our, our world is full of truth claims. And into that world, Jesus speaks a superior claim, right? We don't make any excuses for that. That when the gospel makes a claim, uh, it does so as the truth against everything else which is the lie. And so Peter is challenging their claim to authority. He's basically saying that to embrace Jesus as Savior they actually have to admit that they're wrong. They have to admit that they were wrong about Jesus. They have to admit that they were complicit in His death. And it means that they have to renounce their own claims and lay hold of Jesus. And that is no easy thing. Right? I, I like to believe that I am the captain of the ship, Right? the master of my destiny. We we prefer the mindset of William Ernest Henley's poem, Invictus. You may have heard that poem before. The last stanza of the poem goes this way. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And the audacious of Christianity, what makes the claim of Christianity so bold is that it dares to say, no, you're not. There's someone better and his name is Jesus. And that claim will either make you bow up or make you kneel. But there's really not a halfway response. And so Peter as he says these things about Jesus, is making an exclusive, bold claim. A claim that will either make the leader's bow up or kneel. So how do they respond? Let's look at, uh, let's look at the bold resistance of the gospel. First, let's look at how Peter at Peter and John, right, as the as these religious leaders see their boldness and recognize that they don't have any credentials. They haven't been to Pharisee school, they don't have their they don't have their master's degree in Bible teaching, right? They're stunned. They're astonished. In fact, what they realize in verse thirteen, what they realize is Uh, is that they had been with Jesus. They see the boldness of Peter and John. They perceive that they were uneducated common men. They're astonished. And they recognize that they've been with Jesus. They hear in the words of Peter and John, the words of Jesus. They see in the lives of Peter and John, the life of that carpenter from Nazareth that they had executed all those many days ago. They recognize that they had been with Jesus. This master has rubbed off on his students. And so here's what that tells you, right? We we tend to be very impressed by credentials. We tend to be very uh, awed and wowed by uh, formal education, advanced education. And and we're pro-education. Education Uh, education is important. But what this tells us is that you don't need advanced degrees. Uh, You don't need public speaking gifts to bear witness to Jesus. What you need is fellowship with Jesus. right? Uh, what, what was most apparent about Peter and John is that they had been with their Savior. They had been with Jesus and that enabled them to speak clearly and boldly about Jesus. Now they also see the healed man standing next to them. Right? And they're speechless. They've got nothing to say. They're stuck. So, so what, do, what do they do? How do they respond to these men? Notice what they don't do. They don't try to disprove their claim. How easy would it have been to go to the tomb and exhume the body and say to the public, look, these guys are charlatans, they're liars. We found the evidence. But they don't do that. And I don't think they do that because they're really not interested in the truth. They're interested in uh, their authority. They're interested in holding on to their position. And we see that in, this, in the way that they respond, right? That they're, that they're really more interested in the public's perception of them than they are in the truth about Jesus. And so it goes back to what we looked at earlier in our confession of sin, that they, that they, were more, they cared more about the opinion of the people than they did about the truth, the truth claims of Jesus, and so, what they try to do is they try to opt for a safe third way. Right? They're like, okay, well, we can't, we can't punish him because uh, the people know that this man's been healed, and it's pretty apparent that he's been healed. He's been uh, paralyzed for over forty years, so we can't refute that. But we also don't like what they have to say. We don't like their claim. So you know what? Let's just give them a stern warning, a slap on the wrist, and tell them not to do it anymore. And what did Peter and John say? Look, whether it's right in your eyes to obey you or God, you have to decide. But we're going to keep going. We're going to keep speaking. Because we believe that we are on God's side. And we will continue to tell others what we've seen and heard. What can we learn from that? What is it that gives the apostles this boldness to continue to bear witness even in the face of punishment from the authorities? It's the fact that they they fear God and not man. And that Jesus has told them to expect opposition. We can expect opposition. In fact, opposition is how the church grows. Did you notice what it said in verse 4? Let's go back, Actually, go back up to verse 3. They, were, they arrested them, and they put them in custody, for it was evening, right? So they couldn't do anything. They went ahead and threw them in jail to spend the night. And then they were going to examine them in the morning. But notice what happened in verse 4. Many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. So even as Peter and John are arrested, the gospel is not arrested. Even as Peter and John are put in prison, people are still believing because of their word. The gospel cannot be arrested. And so, Christian, take heart. Take heart. Expect opposition and hold fast to Jesus. Our age says this, right? The truth claim of our age is if, there, if there's a God, if there's a God... There are many roads that lead there. And all you need is sincerity. If you'll just believe something with your whole heart, then that truth is good enough for you. And the audacious claim of Christianity is, you can be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. There is a God. He came down from heaven... His name is Jesus, and He is the only road to the Father. Reject your rival authority and run to the only name that can save. Let's pray.